It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the World Soccer Talk podcast. I'm your host, Nipun Chopra. Thank you so much for joining us. This week, we saw the fairy tale Leicester City continue as they stretched their lead to seven points, while Real Madrid stopped the Barcelona train momentarily in an exciting El Clasico. In order to discuss all of this and more, I am joined by World Soccer Talk debutante Gabe Smith. Karthik will not be joining us tonight as he is currently on his way to Tampa, but he will be back to join me for the midweek podcast on Wednesday. So before we get started with analyzing the games and all that fun stuff, Gabe, Tell us really quickly about your own history in the game and uh, with podcasting in general. Sure, Napoon, it's uh, great to be with you. I really appreciate you having me on uh, uh, here and, and uh, definitely want to say a big shout to all the, the World Soccer Talk uh, listeners out there. Definitely a big fan of the, the podcast. Um, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I come from probably, a, you know, a, a typical kind of background uh, uh, that I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners share, uh, at least with the starts. You know, I, I, I grew up playing soccer. Uh, competitively ever since I was about four years old. Uh, really enjoyed the sport, uh, although, you know, it, it was it was tough for me to, in comparison to, to basketball or football because, you know, I play those sports as well and, and you know, I could always turn on the TV uh, on, a, on a weekday evening and, and see a basketball game or a football game, see kind of my, my heroes, my stars kind of come to life. And, you know, it's just the accessibility of soccer, um, you, know, uh, you know, back then in the, in the 90s, uh, just, you know, wasn't apparent, especially club soccer at that mm-hmm. point. So a lot of it for me was international soccer that really kind of got me into it, uh, whether it be uh, USA or I was definitely... And, and, and you support the Indian national football team, right? The, oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. And, just and make sure. too. I mean, cricket, cricket yes, of course. Well. You know, it's, it's just, <laughs> I've just been absolutely loving uh, T20 here. Uh, <laughs> as as Nupun is, is laughing right now because he knows that I don't know a single rule set of cricket. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I'm just impressed that you knew T20. It's probably from my tweets, wasn't it? Uh, it's literally been from <laughs> my Twitter timeline being filled with that. I think uh, I'm in my dreams now. I'm saying T20, and I have no clue why. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, that's that's kind of how it, how it started for me. And it wasn't actually until I studied abroad in college. Uh, I was in Brussels, Belgium. Uh, watched a Belgium versus Spain international game there. Really got to to feel. Uh, and appreciate the atmosphere that comes along with uh, with uh, soccer matches, and and also just having it to where you know people that I was uh, either going to school with in, in Brussels uh, or picking up newspapers. It's a very uh, international city, and a lot of things are written in English. Got to read about uh, clubs, you know, European clubs there, and it's just a lot more focused towards it. And so when I when I came back to the states, uh, I, I definitely started following 
club soccer more, and Liverpool became became my premier or, or uh, preferred team, and uh, and that's really really kind of uh, picked up ever since, and and uh, have the have the joy of co-hosting the ULF or United Liverpool fans podcast uh, with uh, with this uh, this counter sexy voice uh, uh, opposite of me. So. Uh, <laughs> We get to we get to enjoy uh, weekly, uh, you know, talking about our two favorite clubs, Manchester United and Liverpool, uh, a, a rival podcast, but still obviously trying to bring some, um, you know, some fun and some sense into a, to a, a, an age old rivalry there. So uh, really, really enjoy it. And, and again, just want to thank you, uh, thank you again for having me on. Yeah, I'm glad you're on, and uh, hope hoping that along with ULF we can uh, continue with World Soccer Talk and you know keep talking about the game that we both love so much. All right, having covered that, Gabe, uh, let's really quickly preview what we'll talk about today. In section one, we'll talk about, we'll review the El Clasico, uh, the El Clasico? We'll review El Clasico, (laughs) essentially saying review the the Clasico. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, El Clasico, and we'll review one of the key results from the Premier League weekend, which is your beloved Liverpool drawing at home to Spurs. Uh, And then in section two, we'll cover the entirety of the rest of the nine games in the Premier League uh, this weekend. And then finally, we'll do a quick preview. Uh, we, we did a kind of a detailed preview of the Champions League last week, but we'll do another quick preview of the upcoming Champions League games Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, and that will be it for tonight's World Soccer Talk podcast. So Gabe, let's start with... Uh, you know what is still you you support liverpool i support manchester united but even we admit that when it comes to club football there's no bigger rivalry in terms of world attention than el clasico real madrid versus barcelona coming into this game gabe i'm kind of proud to admit it i guess because i got this prediction right in some some way but uh i definitely had a sense that this had a uh had a similar similar arc as Manchester United against Arsenal, when Arsenal were the invincibles back in the uh, early 2000s, a uh, 49-game unbeaten streak was ended by Manchester United. And a similar thing played out here, Gabe. Even though they went down a, 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 um, they went down a man with typically... Uh, actually, atypically, it was Ramos as opposed to uh, Pepe. But yeah. even yeah. though uh, Ramos was sent off, Real Madrid came back to win this 2-1. Yeah, well, you know, looking at it, uh, especially the, the the first fifteen minutes of the match, uh, you kind of had the sense that someone was going to get sent off. I, I thought yeah. the F was calling it extremely tight, um, and, and at times there there were even you know some fouls that I I, I didn't think were uh, were necessary at that point. So mm-hmm. it just it, it, the, the way the build up obviously you know there could be to where the ref you know kind of taking trying to take a little bit of the air um, out of such a heated rivalry to make sure uh, that it didn't go crazy uh, at all, but. Uh, you know, in terms of the, the, the play on the pitch, uh, it was a great game to watch. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you know, some, some real end a, end action uh, at times, especially, I think, in the, in the second half there yeah. as the, the pressure starting to mount. Now, naturally, uh, we saw what we kind of tend to expect from this matchup, uh, you know, seeing the likes of, of Barcelona uh, control possession um, and, uh, and, and trying to, to, to really dictate then um, the game through the, the 90 minutes, but I think some of the things that uh, you know jumped out at me is, is something that we're probably not used to seeing from this matchup, especially when you think about the uh, the first leg uh, or the first matchup early in the season with the 4-0 uh, win for Barcelona uh, was I'd say two parts. One being the 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 front three um, there uh, 
for Real Madrid. Benzema, Bale, and, and Ronaldo uh, mm-hmm. outshined the likes of Neymar, Suarez, and Messi. Um, and even though Real Madrid uh, did not necessarily control possession, you know, that wasn't really what their, their game was meant to be, uh, I thought that their, their midfield uh, did an excellent job. Uh, I thought Cruz and, and Modric really had a, a lot of ability to uh, to roam and and to dictate uh, that the midfield mm-hmm. at, at times uh, because of the uh, the superb then uh, holding play of Casemiro. So uh, it was it was a real real interesting matchup. Uh, but I, I'm curious. Yeah, it's it's. I, I'm glad you brought up Casemiro by the way, Gabe, because uh, I, I kept thinking to myself during this game that Casemiro is one of many players now with this Real Madrid system where he's forced to play a role that basically minimizes his uh, attacking potential, but is so important in these El Clasicos. We've seen under different managers at Real Madrid, we've seen it under Ancelotti, Benitez, Mourinho, Zidane now, this holding midfield role that has been played by everyone, including Pepe, uh, and over time has become that much more important. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you point that out because I thought Casemiro had a good game. Uh, when we think of the, the, the talent in that Barcelona uh, midfield with the likes of Iniesta and Rakitic, uh, and Busquets, that's not an easy role to play in a game which is almost always end to end. So, yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, and, and it gets away from that. That again, that Galacticos kind of concept, right? Where you know, every everybody's going to be an attacking player. Everybody's going to be a superstar. Um, and and I think that's you know that's obviously what we've seen missing uh, from Real Madrid is somebody that can do the, the dirty work. And mm-hmm. and I, I think Casemiro has, has really done that well this season. Uh, he's been given freedom to do so, and I think most importantly, uh, managers. Um, you know, maybe maybe Perez just a little bit of the the reins kind of coming off. Sometimes some of these managers, obviously, it's, it's not in terms of the the length or duration that the managers have <laughs> of their manager careers. Yeah, right. You can you can at least though maybe get an impression that there's a little bit more freedom in and and Real Madrid than playing a holding midfielder role and not necessarily having three attacking midfielders there. Uh, yeah. But I'm curious your your thoughts with with Barcelona. Um, do, do you think just in, in terms of I mean it wasn't necessarily the typical performance, especially right. at that front three. I, I think mm-hmm. it was you know Suarez was missing a, a couple real easy chances that that I'm used to seeing him yeah. uh, be able to convert. Suarez almost turned into Fernando Torres for one yeah. evening. Yeah, at, at times there definitely, and, and and you know Messi didn't look as sharp. Although I do think that still um, that was a penalty. Uh, that takedown uh, that happened in the first half uh, certainly could have changed the dynamic of the mm-hmm. game. But but when when you look at that performance, do you attribute it more to maybe potentially them looking towards that that Champions League matchup against Atletico, yeah. or do you think with the lack of of depth that Barcelona typically plays, that maybe just with the number of games they played through the course of the season, that uh, you're starting to get some some tired legs there? Uh, from uh, from some of these players, and that this might become a trend uh, towards the, the the end of the season here. I think I think it was a mixture of things. I don't I don't think there was a lot of fatigue in that team. At least to me, it didn't look like they had any less work rate. They okay. definitely had, especially with, uh, without the especially with the ball, they had their usual movement of intricacies with these triangles that were forming all over the pitch. That you know the kind of football that we associate with Barcelona. What I did notice, however, was some poor defensive uh, decisions by by fullbacks. And, mm. you know, we talked about this in last week. We've talked about this in the World Saga Talk podcast before. Every time we talked about Barcelona, uh, talked about this with Richard last week. The fact that defensively, sometimes they make 
very poor decisions. And most of the time, those decisions come from whoever is uh, alongside PK or one of the fullbacks. PK by himself is just one of the best, again, one of the best defenders in the world again. So this time for the Cristiano goal in particular, I thought uh, the, the Alves was absolutely at fault. I thought Alves had pushed forward too much and then tracking back, he completely missed the header from the cross and allowed uh, Cristiano to chest the ball down in the box, which is an unforgivable sin if you're a defender to allow Cristiano Ronaldo to comfortably chest the ball down and shoot. Yeah. So some of those things I think, Gabe, were uh, underlying what happened. And and then some tactical decision, decisions as well. But we can chalk this off to the fact that Sometimes when you have this pressure of this unbeaten run on you and, and you come up against the one of the best teams in the world and, and your biggest rival, sometimes results don't go your way, even though you're a man up. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite possible. In terms of, I, I do think that there is elements maybe of, of at least kind of looking towards that, that big matchup sure. uh, too uh, uh, for Champions League. Uh, for them, but it just uh, you know it, it just definitely did not seem like that the same Barcelona team uh, again, especially in, in the front three that I've uh, that I've used to see um, you know through the course of the season. Yeah, I agree, and and this result actually gave by Zidane a little bit more time. Z- yeah, yeah, Zizou's been under a bit of a pressure lately. Uh, I think when you and I talked about him taking over on the ULF podcast, uh, I said at that time that I think it's a win-win for Zizou because. Um, not win-win for Zizou. I think what I said was it's easier for Zizou than it would have been for Benitez because the expectations are much lower with Zizou. But I think we've come to the point, given how far Barcelona are ahead in the league, that even regular hardcore Real Madrid fans are finally saying, okay, this is not the way forward. Zidane doesn't have the tactical knowledge that we thought he did. He's not a great man motivator. But then you get this result, right, Gabe? And now you have the likes of uh, the midfielders at Barcelona, uh, at Real Madrid. Uh, you have, uh, I think it was, uh, was it Cruz? I think it might have been Tony Cruz who came out and said that it was uh, it was Zidane's halftime performance, that uh, halftime uh, instruction that buoyed them to the win. So these sing- titular results kind of really sway opinion. And we'll actually come back to this when we talk about uh, the Lazio manager getting fired. So um, buys him a little bit of time and... I think the the realistic goal in terms of the uh, a future for Zidane is obviously contingent on how they do against Wolfsburg. A poor fo- performance against Wolfsburg, I think he's still probably a sitting duck. But if they get to the semifinal, maybe we might see him at uh, Real Madrid next season. Yeah, and I, and I think it becomes tough too for just Real Madrid as they, they're getting healthier right now. I, I think that there's a lot of bounce in this yeah. current squad. Uh, but uh, but at some point in time, uh, with a, a stellar player like James Rodriguez, then mm-hmm. uh, who was unable to play in, in this match and is, is kind of getting back up to uh, to full fitness, there uh, you have to wonder in terms of kind of changing that dynamic, uh, especially in that midfield there uh, with his you know reintroduction to the squad, if that's going to hinder again some of that balance that they were able to show and display uh, against Barcelona. Yeah, one of one of Isco and Hamas is probably going to leave this summer. Uh, in in the midweek when Hamas was away on international duty, I think he had some interesting comments uh, in terms of I don't I, I mean I, I guess the best you can summarize it, and this is the first time I've ever used this phrase, Gabe, is he threw some serious shade 
at Real Madrid <laughs> um, in his comments. It just felt like he was either he wasn't happy at Real Madrid or he was essentially saying that they don't support him as well as the national team does. So those sorts of things will come back um, possibly to haunt him and maybe he will be leaving the club in instead of Isco, who I guess at the start of the season, given how good James was last season, you would say Isco was the one more likely to leave. Yeah. So Gabe, let's move ahead uh, and talk about one of the key results from the Premier League this season, uh, sorry, this weekend, uh, Liverpool 1-1 Spurs. Obviously, as a Liverpool supporter, this is a good conversation to have with you. Liverpool have these good results, these good performances against the top teams, mm-hmm. and then they're likely to get smashed. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to big, um, big, uh, bring up 6-1 Stoke from last year because that was under Rodgers, but they have very poor performances uh, against average to lower part of the table teams. So explain to me how Liverpool were able to have a terrific first half performance, arguably one of their better performances overall. I thought they were amazing in the first half. So how is this happening with Liverpool? Yeah, you know, Liverpool definitely plays their competition uh, to the, to the caliber of the competition, that's for sure. Uh, now this is this is a, a Spurs team that Liverpool, um, you know, has, has done well against, whether it's Brendan Rodgers managing um, or or Klopp. I mean, this was uh, in the first half of the season. Uh, one of uh, Klopp's then first EPL victories was uh, against Spurs, uh, playing then uh, at White Hart Lane. So mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 there's. I think Liverpool definitely has some confidence when they do play uh, Tottenham. But in, in terms of in, in general, uh, what we saw there is is uh, you know Spurs, the way that they play Liverpool. Uh, can do well with their high press. I, yeah. I think we've seen we've seen a player like Delali who has been phenomenal this season. Uh, it yeah. can be can be a rather sore subject actually for Liverpool fans uh, <laughs> as as more and more reports come out that uh, you know Liverpool had such an, an excellent opportunity to to be able to get him before Spurs. Uh, but I, I think one of one of many players. One, one of many, right? We, we could we could we could draw a long list here. It's like, uh, do you guys have uh, more than an hour uh, recording, right? <laughs> Um, but with 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 all of the the, the great things that Dal Ali has been doing this season, I think the one thing um, that he kind of shows with his age right now, and especially as he's been uh, playing further up the pitch uh, in a more advanced role now um, in in Spurs midfield, is that he can be be known to to give away the ball uh, mm-hmm. in in their half. And so with some of that high pressure that Liverpool was able to do, uh, you saw some opportunities to where Liverpool was able to get. Um, you know, either a half chance or, or a full chance created uh, from from Spurs giving a possession uh, pretty early on, and and mm-hmm. I think you, you saw that in the first half. Uh, Liverpool was, was really able to assert themselves, had had the, the better chances uh, through the course of the first half, and I just think that um, you know the the skill and talent, uh, you know, with with a with a halftime speech probably from Pochettino being able to focus in some key areas. Uh, Salzburg definitely get back into it in the second half, and, and I, I thought they were they're probably the uh, the better team um, through the, uh, the second forty five minutes. So we, we saw we saw a, a pretty good uh, uh, fight, um, you know, between these two clubs. I, I think it was uh, certainly kind of uh, one of those that, that went the full uh, you know the full uh, twelve rounds there in in the fight, and and uh, you just had both boxers kind of standing at, at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I you, you have to look at it from the Spurs' perspective that they are going to be disappointed uh, to see then uh, two points go away um, and, and only get a draw out of this, especially with uh, with the Leicester win today. 
but I, I can't say you can fault really any individual right. players in particular. I think it was just a case of, of Liverpool uh, really putting in one of their, their better performances against a, a top, top team uh, that I um, am, am being convinced of every time I, I see them. Yeah, I think you, the Dele Alli point is well taken. With Dele Alli, uh, Eric Dyer, as well as uh, Dembele in midfield, I thought Sean and Henderson, uh, the much-criticized, often-maligned Henderson, both mm. had very good performances in this game. The first half, I mean, the best compliment you can give Liverpool is that Spurs have rarely looked as troubled defensively as they were in that first half. Um, Sturridge should have scored. I think there were a couple of great chances Um on another day, Liverpool could have actually won this game. But yeah, I, th- I think overall, in my opinion, it, it's it's probably a good, maybe not a good, it's a decent result for Spurs away from home against a strong Liverpool team. But of course, given the way things played out with Leicester City, they, at this point, uh, are most likely to finish second. I mean, that's an understatement. So any way back, you think, for Spurs? It's going to be really tough. I mean, these are these are the kind of performances uh, or, or matchups uh, to where you know if, if you are going to be a title team, yeah, uh, you need to get the full three points. Um, and and we're again we're seeing that from from Leicester City. I know we'll probably talk more about uh, you know what Leicester City has been doing these past couple of weeks. Uh, but this is this is a game that that you need to win uh, again if you're trying to win a title. And and I, I think you know some of the players put just monumental performances. I thought Hugo Lloris was was absolutely terrific. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean some of the saves that he made that that definitely uh, was the the main reason why it was only one uh, zero. Uh, I'm sorry, zero zero actually going to half should have been at least a couple goals uh, mm-hmm. for Liverpool um, uh, there early on. And then I, I have to you know obviously give give kudos to, to Harry Kane uh, as well. I, I mean being able to score that goal that really I thought was going to come out of nothing. Uh, at that point, and and I, I've definitely been one great of, assist by Ericsson as well. Great, in that. Yeah, great. Okay. Yeah, I mean, didn't give up on it. Uh, definitely looked like the ball was going to go over the line. Certainly did not. Um, uh, great, great pass into there. And again, really, I mean, Kane created that from absolutely nothing. And uh, and I was one of the people who who definitely thought that that Kane um, may not be a complete one season wonder, um, and that really just completely falling off the radar after last year's performance. But I, I still questioned whether he was as good. Yeah. Uh, as last season's performances and and goal tally, um, uh, you know, showed, and and I'm I'm finding this season that uh, that he certainly is, and so kudos kudos to to a Spurs team, like I said, who's been well managed, and I, I think you know the the Leicester City is is obviously a phenomenal story, uh, but I think if if you're if you're a EPL fan that likes to see clubs uh, being built up in the right way, not necessarily just splashing cash all over. Um, you know, all over the place uh, to be able to bring. You should be players. a Chelsea fan, right? <laughs> no. Right? Yeah. Wait, right. did I get that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> you know, bringing people up through the academy. I mean, really finding some 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 good gems. Uh, you know, across Europe without necessarily uh, breaking the bank to do so. Uh, Spurs and and Pochettino has has really uh, showed that they've uh, they've got a great season, but just just don't think it's going to be enough uh, to to top uh, top Leicester City. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, and and Pochettino has done a terrific job. When when Richard Karting and I ranked the managers in the Premier League, we all ranked Pochettino really high because of the fact that he's built this Spurs team. I mean, remember last season he was under so much pressure; people thought that he had dropped the ball and that they weren't doing as well. And mm-hmm. uh, this season they've been a revelation. And you're right about Kane too, Gabe, because I, I'm with you. I was one of you, one of those as well at the start of the season. 
writing Kane off, but uh, 2016 has been terrific for him. Uh, even midweek in the friendlies, he was great in in both games, particularly yeah. uh, the game, the win against comeback win against Germany. So uh, Harry Kane, let's be honest: if Rooney starts ahead of Kane, uh, the world has gone mad in the European Championships. <laughs> well, uh, or, or it's just Roy Hodgson. So you know, right, right, right. <laughs> so it's kind of one and the same, I think. Yeah. So uh, wrapping up this section in Spain, Atletico. Uh, with a 5-1 win over Real Betis and Real Madrid with the 2-1 win in the El Clasico. Both had comfortable, both had important wins this weekend, cutting Barcelona's lead at the top to six points. Levante, Sporting Guion, as well as Getafe remain in the bottom three. Although Granada, Rio Vallecano, and arguably even Valencia and Real Betis are in serious danger of being sucked into that relegation battle. In Italy, in Serie A, Juventus's 1-0 win over Empoli means the old lady remains six points clear of Napoli with seven games remaining. In the most important game of the weekend, uh, we saw Roma beat Lazio 4-1 via goals from El Shirawi, Dzeko, Florenzi and Perotti. This makes it this makes it three derbies in a row that Roma has edged this important game. Uh, the last time Lazio won was back in 2013, a, a 1-0 win via Lulic, a Lulic goal, the Bosnian striker. Uh, since we were planning this podcast, news has broken, Gabe, that coach Stefano Pioli has been fired and he's going to be replaced by Simone Inzaghi. Uh, our listeners probably know Simone Inzaghi, the younger brother of the much more famous Pipo Inzaghi, uh, who has... Simone played for Lazio for over a decade and has been working with the youth team for about four years now. For me, Gabe, Lazio is still up against it. Uh, Simone Inzaghi, who was a striker himself, will be cognizant of the fact of the goal scoring issues at the club. Antonio Candrava is highest goal scorer for them and he only has seven goals all season. Uh, I think their second highest goal scorer has six. So they've had some serious issues with goal scoring chances. Lazio are currently in eighth in Serie A. In the Bundesliga, wins for Bayern and Dortmund mean that Bayern remains top, five points clear of Dortmund with six games to go. While both clubs have European commitments in Benfica and Liverpool respectively, Bayern's title run is just a bit easier than Dortmund's and it would take some strange results in my opinion uh, and most people's opinion to see the season end up with the beautiful BVB as title winners. Uh, With that, we'll go wrap up section one and section two we'll be talking about the results from the rest of the premier league and then look ahead to section three we'll be right back with the world soccer talk podcast welcome back to section two of the world soccer talk podcast so, Gabe, what we're going to do now is talk about the rest of the Premier League results. Uh, we'll start with the game that meant very little in terms of uh, results going forward, which is Villa-Chelsea. Uh, comfortable win for Chelsea, Gabe. 4 nothing. Could have been more, should have been more. Uh, the big talking point, however, Gabe, we saw U.S. men's national team international, soon to be U.S. men's national team international in spite of his recent red card uh, in the Olympic qualifier. Matt Miazga, uh, Alex Pato, as well as Loftus-Cheek all played. Um, Pato and Loftus-Cheek both scoring in the game. Uh, now, Gabe, in the midweek, Hiddink had mentioned that he wanted to use the last few games to experiment. And that's not something that we usually associate with Chelsea that 
a team that tends to really use established team, established players, and not really promote their own players. So I, are you liking what you're seeing in terms of this approach by hitting? Who really has nothing to lose as the caretaker manager? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, I, I give full credit to him um, because, you know, it, it is, just as you noted, I mean, he's, he's in this, this interim role. Uh, it's pretty well established that, that he won't be uh, the manager next season as, as the likes of, uh, you know, Antonio Conte is, is, is pretty much rumored to be the next manager uh, almost daily, it seems like, at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I give, I give full credit to him to, to really, you know, instead of just playing senior players and, and trying to essentially, you know, get the best results maybe be able to put that then on the resume towards the next, you know, position, uh, is he is taking some chances, bring in some, some youth that really, uh, if anything, is going to allow for the, the, the next manager to be able to look at some of these matches uh, and, and see the type of... I hear Jose Mourinho is looking for a job. <laughs> well, that's only because you don't want him to be <laughs> Manchester United. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so you're hoping somehow Chelsea will bring him back in. But, uh, but you know, I, I, no, I'm thoroughly impressed. Uh, you know, certainly uh, we, we saw with, uh, with Pato uh, coming in because of Remy's injury uh, early on. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was kind of fun to see him uh, in his day three months after the transfer was made successful. <laughs> there was actually some, some good one-two between him and, yeah. and one Oscar came in the second half. Uh, and, and Pedro as well. I thought him and Pedro yeah. definitely linked up well. Yeah, Pedro, man of the match. Uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, this is, no, I, I you know, hitting, especially for, I, I mean, right now, Chelsea, I believe, is 10th uh, in the mm-hmm. table. Yep. Uh, I mean, completely crawled back uh, from being in, in relegation zone, even at spots. And, it, you know, it is, it is. I, I'm sure you know. In terms of Chelsea fans, they, they do want a manager with with some kind of name recognition there. Uh, and I'm not saying anything bad or negative against Hiddink. Uh, obviously, a um, you know a, a storied career has, has has been manager several clubs, uh, great prominent clubs, and and international duty as well. But but you got to feel for him. I mean, he's been, been putting he's been putting Chelsea back on on the radar mm-hmm. and uh, and again it's inevitable that he's not going to be the, the the manager come come next season so no full full kudos to him he's he's really done a a great job uh, since taking over yeah Aston Villa's only bright spark was AU I think without him they barely even created anything uh Rudy Gestead maybe had a couple of moments but another very poor performance from Aston Villa and as you pointed out this result leaves Chelsea in 10th uh a point behind Liverpool having played a game more whereas Villa remain firmly at the bottom mm-hmm. 15 points from safety Gabe they've collected 16 points all season so i mean if there's if if a god exists Villa fans will be praying to him because uh, there's literally nothing else except a miracle that can save Aston Villa uh, in the Premier League this season. Yep, and, and, and one more other quick ter- takeaway sure. too, just as a, a U.S. men's national team fan, is you have to become even more concerned with Guzan. Uh, yeah, another, good point, very good another, point. Another performance where he was poor, that last fourth goal, I, I don't know how he doesn't just catch that, uh, you know, just a, a poor parry that, that you know, allows for Chelsea to get that fourth goal. But as a, as a U.S. fan, you, you have to be worried about our goalkeeper situation right now. Yeah, agreed. I definitely agree with that. Moving ahead, gave uh, Arsenal with also another four-one victory, a four-nothing victory over of, over Watford. Uh, this is the end of season surge for Arsenal in the sense that the pressure is off. They're out of the Champions League. They're not going to win the Premier League. They're out of the cup competitions, and all of a sudden they start playing the kind of football that we associated with Arsenal again. I defended them all season. I was embarrassed because of it. Uh, and we're starting to see that same 
narrative for Arsenal that is season in, season out. And uh, But setting that aside, uh, looking at this game in itself, Gabe, comfortable win, goals from Sanchez, it will be Bellerin and Walcott. The, what I wanted to ask you about was that the, the right-sided winger position is an area that Wenger has been playing a lot of the youth products in. He's played the Ox there, Joel Campbell's played there, and now Iwobi. And what are your thoughts on on his this recent policy of not just throwing a bunch of youth players into the mix, but having one or two positions where he brings them in? And, and you saw that actually, Gabe, as a Liverpool supporter. Uh, multiple players who are now playing at Liverpool or have played at Liverpool were brought in in that right wing-back role, right? So what is this? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I mean, I thought, uh, you know, again, I mean, the pressure has been mounted, um, you know, on, on Arsenal. And, 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 you know, Wenger just uh, continues to still do things his way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, results be damned at, at times. And, and I think you can criticize uh, at, at times in, in terms of maybe not having that kind of killer instinct sure. uh, to, to be able to, you know, put uh, opponents away either in, in a particular matches or go through, you know, spells to where, um, again, maybe maybe Arson doesn't know his his best eleven at that point. But I, I think you always have to compliment uh, Arson in, in his ability to to mm-hmm. uh, you know bring in youth and and really really make it to where um, you know when you look at at Arsenal, you can you can look at it always in two ways. Um, you know, their their kind of continuous top four finishes as uh, a sign of, of, of them not having what it takes to, to be able to, uh, to make it to the top. Mm-hmm. Or you can look at it from the other perspective of a club that uh, is clearly year to year outspent uh, by the likes of Man City and Chelsea uh, are always finding ways of remaining in the top four, finding at least that year to year consistency there uh, by having some of the players either coming in for their academy or, or uh, again, others that uh, across Europe that no one's really looking at bringing them in and, and they do a solid role. So I, I've been impressed by, by Wolby definitely had, had no clue about him uh, going into the season. Um, didn't even really hear much from, from Arsenal fans in terms yeah. of talking about some of the, you know, kind of the, the, the uh, bright future stars and their potential. And, and again, here you have uh, Arsene towards the end of the season when results are absolutely crucial and you're bringing in a player like this uh, over the past couple of weeks and, uh, and, and getting rewarded for it. So, so compliments to him, yeah. although I know, again, uh, Arsenal fans are a, a little upset that, uh, you know, looking back at, at, at the end of around Christmas time, um, you know, Arsenal looked like they could, you know, really make a good run at, at this year being the year. And uh, it's just kind of fallen off uh, as, it, as it typically does uh, yeah. towards, towards the months of uh, February, March for them. The result leaves Watford in a comfortable uh, still in a comfortable 14th place position there outside the relegation battle, just behind Bournemouth and above Swansea, who have both played a game more. So I think Watford at the start of the season would have taken a 4 nothing loss uh, at the Emirates if it meant that they were definitely staying in the Premier League, which I yeah. think at this point they are. Uh, Kiki Sanchez-Flores, his team has done all the hard work at the start of the season. So... Yeah. Um, Moving ahead, Gabe and, and Arsenal or whatever they are, I don't really care at this point. It, they've <laughs> they've broken my self respect, so I, I don't care about them anymore. Okay, Gabe, let's move ahead to another team I don't care about. City winning four nothing against Bournemouth. Uh, City were up three goals within twenty minutes. Gabe De Bruyne, there's someone that I know you love yeah. uh, since you're a big Belgian uh, team supporter. Uh, back in the starting lineup, scores a, a terrific goal. And City are starting to getting uh, starting to get bodies back here, Gabe, uh, which is important going forward for their uh, European competition. 
Yeah, it, it was crazy. I mean, it, it was uh, you see kind of some at least in the, in the past couple of years, uh, you know, the traditional powers in the EPL, uh, City, Chelsea, Arsenal, all of a sudden realized that it's uh, the beginning of April and and, uh, and put four zero smashings uh, against their, their opponent. Um, it's like a uh, nice like, symmetry, oh, right? Symmetry yeah. to the start of the season. City were just scoring four or five goals on every team, and yeah. here they are doing it again. Yeah, 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 and they're finally back with it. Um, you know, and, and I and I did think. I, I was even looking at this matchup, and, and I thought, man, this could be one of those, you know, again, those situations of, of City overlooking their opponent. Maybe, you know, again, putting more focus on the Champions League uh, matchup against against PSG, then coming up here in the midweek, uh, an opponent that everybody should see them winning. And and I really could have seen a zero zero draw, or, or maybe just Man City scraping by with a one mm-hmm. zero victory. Uh, but but we didn't see that kind of performance, and and I do think that. Uh, you know the player that you did mention, uh, De Bruyne, has to be um, complimented as uh, it's just a different-looking team uh, when you see him in there. Um, I, I also think that uh, Yaya Toure then uh, not featuring in this match, um, you saw then you know a very very stable midfield. We had Fernando and Fernandinho um, playing the hold of midfield role. Um, you know, certainly redundant type players. Uh, I mean, they're they're exactly the same, but it gives absolute freedom uh, to the attacking midfielders of mm-hmm. Navas, Silva, and De Bruyne to do what they do best. And uh, I thought De Bruyne and Silva really paired up well uh, at times. And overall, just just too much for, for Burnmouth, as as you noted, this game was was over by the twentieth minute. Absolutely, uh, and we'll we'll talk about. City's uh, upcoming Champions League game against PSG in the in the third section of the podcast. But importantly, Nasri Kolarov, Otamendi back to fitness. Aguero's fit. Um, Nasri coming off the bench with, let's say, interesting hairstyle and uh, <laughs> hair color. So, uh, yeah. yeah, good good to see him back. Question mark. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we'll I, leave I, it at that. Probably probably his his last season in a city jersey. You'd have to yes, say yes yes. Yes, definitely. Okay, and then uh, we should move ahead to what was one of the most significant results of the weekend, Gabe. Coming into this game, had Newcastle beaten Norwich by even two goals, they would have jumped ahead of them into 17th place with the game in hand. That would have been a huge, huge result. Norwich have been very poor at home. Winless, they were winless in five games at home. And then here we go with this result, Gabe. Norwich winning 3-2 against Newcastle. Coming from uh, Newcastle equalized a couple times through Mitrovic, but Norwich wins it in the end. This is a hugely significant result in the relegation battle. Yeah, no, it really is. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I didn't necessarily uh, expect for, for this, uh, this match to, to be as uh, entertaining uh, mm-hmm. as it was. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, back and forth, you, you got you to gotta feel for, for Newcastle um, just in, in terms of obviously where they are in their position um, and then having you know the, the injury issues that they've had too to the to the goalkeeping position uh, coming into this match then with their their third string goalkeeper. Right. I, I won't be too hard on on Darlow because there were certainly elements there in the defense to where uh, you got to criticize the the, the defensive uh, play of, of Taylor and Mbemba at times. Uh, but I, I think there there were there were a couple moments there where Darlow could have put maybe a better effort in or, or should have had some better positioning. Um, on uh, on some of the the, the Norwich goals there, um, but you know just just looking at this really becomes a, a very very daunting task uh, for for Rafa Benitez at this time. What, what do you think? Looking at 
Newcastle's chances right now. I know it's uh, you got Aston Villa's, you know, definitely going to be relegated. Yeah. Uh, you got an interesting then, um, you know, their rivals joining them right now in, in the, the relegation scrap with Sunderland. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you think the chances are of uh, of Newcastle climbing out of this? This point. I I I about four or five games ago, I thought Newcastle. Maybe about six games ago, I thought Newcastle were too good to go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked about this with our friend Chris Hennage all the time. Um, he was, I think, he's been proved to be right that there is no such thing as too good to go down. Uh, I think Newcastle's team is has a lot of talent, but Norwich is outworking them. Just every game, Norwich has scraped results. In this game, that that last minute. Last couple of minute goal by Christian Olsen, the left back. I mean, yeah. you don't, you're not seeing those kinds of results from Newcastle, who are only getting goals really from Mitrovic and maybe one or two from Perez. So, or Wijnaldum. Uh, or exactly, or Giorgio Wijnaldum. So I just don't see them. At this point, I have to say that Newcastle are more likely than uh, other, anyone other than Villa to go down. So, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, Mitrovic uh, will certainly be making a case for, for starting. Uh, and the next week, uh, getting those those two goals, then uh, coming off the bench. But uh, but as as you noted, I, I think that there's just been too much. Got to say too, with with Norwich, um, uh, maybe not necessarily in this particular matchup, but but I think that that Naismith transfer mm-hmm. uh, is really going to be a big one for them uh, at the the midseason mark. Uh, I think he's just going to add just a, a little bit more in the attacking end that they just didn't have. Um, that's going to you know, potentially get them over the hump here. So that, yeah, it's interesting, right? His his very first game was that game against Liverpool, that one of the best games of the season, that Norwich Liverpool game, and he scored in his first first game against Liverpool. Had a huge impact in that game. Kind of went to sleep for a few games, and then has recently resurged along with uh, Mobakani, who's also yeah. been good. So yeah, good points there. Uh, this result leaves Norwich with a four-point cushion over Sunderland, having played a game more, of course. Newcastle are two points behind Sunderland. Uh, so Newcastle are in some trouble. All right, Gabe, uh, moving ahead to a game that was in some ways a bit bit of a dead rubber. So we'll kind of fly through it. Stoke 2-2, Swans. Uh, Afalai and Boyan put the Potters two goals up before Sigurdsson and Paloshi. Uh, this was Paloshi's second goal since moving from Kievo in January. Equal the points for both teams. Uh, my, I, I guess the big talking point here is the unpredictability of Stoke, right? One half brilliant, second half awful. Yeah, it clearly was. Um, you know, it's there's there's some there's some real talent uh, on the attacking end for for Stoke, and and I have been um, really really impressed with with Arnautovic through the course of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think uh, as uh, Richard calls him, uh, Dollar Store Ebra, which is amazing. <laughs> I, I do kind of like that look. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the poor man's Ebra there, and uh, you know, you have to you have to wonder. I mean, I, I definitely think he's he's been um, their their player of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious to see if, if he will be around uh, for, for next season. I think he is the type of player that could use this as a launch pad, um, uh, you know, in, in this campaign that he had uh, to get into another team. And, uh, and, and Stoke will, will certainly suffer a bit uh, without the likes of him uh, potentially in the lineup. But uh, overall, you, you have to look at, at, at Stoke, and, and, and obviously you had, you know, with Butler, uh, in terms of that injury, international break wasn't great uh, uh, to, to Stoke either mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the goalkeeping department. I'm curious if Butlin was in there. If you see a 2-2 uh, draw at that point with the second half there uh, and a couple of those goals, especially the fourth goal or the second goal for uh, for Swansea, 
Um, so you got to feel you got to feel unlucky for Stoke uh, in that particular situation. Uh, but uh, but at this point, uh, you know Swansea, you know just trying to do anything they can uh, to to ensure that uh, you know that the relegation zone doesn't even become a question mark. And uh, you know I, I I'm just I'm very curious what they will do looking to try to find goals going into next right. season because uh, they certainly have not gone it from from Gomez, which I've been kind of surprised by has has really fallen off through the course of the season. Yeah, uh, Sigurdsson became more effective in the game as it wore on in that Certainly. position behind uh, Batafemi Gomes and Routledge. Uh, the result leaves Stoke in eighth, and Swans are now 10 points clear relegation, uh, the gaffers, beloved Swans, that is. Uh, positions that, again, both teams would have probably been happy with at the start of the season. I know there were some greater expectations for Swansea at the start of the season than they are, but as the season wore on and they were pulled into a relegation battle, um, we have to say that this is probably a good position for them to be in and they can rebuild for next season. Probably signing another striker, as you've hinted. Um, they did sign the, the was it an, the Udinese striker in, in January, but he hasn't had much of an impact. So Gabe, another result that had a little bit of an impact in terms of the fact that Sunderland got a point uh, was a nil-nil draw against West Brom. Very quickly, I'm just going to mention uh, that it was a lackluster performance by West Brom, who have been buoyed recently by the resurgence of Ber- the reintroduction of Berahino. Uh, but Sunderland were entirely dominant, uh, had multiple chances. Defoe had a great chance right at the death, but saved by man of the match Foster. Yep. Uh, so at this point, Gabe Sunderland really could have used that last minute Defoe goal. Without it, they remain four points from Norwich with the game in hand. So they need to get a step going as well to survive the drop. Let's move ahead to the West Brom, sorry, West Ham Palace draw, the 2-2. The big talking point here, Gabe, some horrific defending by West Ham Ham is really what cost them the points. Yeah, no, definitely that uh, poor clearance from from Agbana uh, that that went off Reed then uh, for uh, for Gale's first goal there. Right. uh, oh, I'm sorry. It was the second goal of the game. Uh, his the first equalizer, goal yeah. in, in, in over a year, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it's which is a Dwight Gale's always been a sore spot for Liverpool fans. Yeah. <laughs> always comes big against us. But uh, uh, you know, I, you know this this West Ham this game. Um, you know, this could certainly be the the, the matchup uh, or, or the match that West Ham fans look back on and, and um, uh, see then as the the, the game that, that really took top four. Um, or the prospects of top four really away from them. Um, you you got to feel you got to feel a little bit rough for, for West Ham. Uh, I, I thought that the uh, the red card there on Piate was was just a, a, just a, a bit a bit too much. I, I thought a yellow hmm. would have been just fine uh, for that particular challenge. Uh, certainly going to ten, ten man going down to ten men um, uh, certainly impacted West Ham. And my gosh, that that Payet uh, free kick goal ridiculous, what, absolutely stunning. You just don't even see players. Uh, go uh, the goalie side too often. You know they they, mm-hmm. they immediately try to go for where the wall uh, was built up and and uh, certainly saw there uh, to where where Hennessy was certainly trying to cheat back over to the right and and uh, uh, you know was was just caught on the wrong foot at that point couldn't do a single thing about it. Um, and in the case of case of West Ham beyond the red card also have to look at uh, a just a real poor uh, error by uh, by, by Adrian. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in goal for, for West Ham. Not sure for what that first he was goal, doing yeah. for that first goal, keeping it in play and, and allowing for the, the header from Crystal Palace. So, you know, a couple a couple opportunities, one by the ref and one by their own goalkeeper uh, that really cost them from getting a, a full three points and, and a good 
again could be uh, could be looked back on as a thing that kept him out of uh, out of top four. Yeah, I agree about that free kick, Gabe. As I, as you were mentioning that, I was thinking that in the last five to ten years, there's really been a movement towards like uh, that that striking free kick, the 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 kind that Cristiano takes, the kind that Drogba took, the kind that Bale takes. You know, where you strike through the ball. Uh, so I I genuinely miss the the free kicks that bend like they used to, uh, like the Beckham esque Ian Hart, uh, even Owen Hargreaves. You know, th- those sorts of uh, bending free kick. So it was great to see that Payet goal. And uh, I guess in some ways, Payet is slowly becoming one of the best free kick takers in the Premier League. Uh, Gabe, let's slow down a little bit at this point uh, to say uh, to, to, to review the Leicester City-Southampton game as well as the United-Everton game. But before I do that, I guess I should mention that West Ham drops two points and with United winning, which we'll get to, uh, are two points behind United. Pardew's Crystal Palace are currently seven points from relegation, so they're probably safe, but their slide down the table continues and will be very troubling to fans of Crystal Palace. All right, Gabe, Leicester City versus Southampton. Conte, Jamie Vardy, Danny Drinkwater all had excellent international breaks. A uh, couple of them scored, couple, all of them got playing time, uh, making impact for their respective national teams. Uh, coming into this game... We, I, for one, thought that Southampton actually may have a chance against Leicester because Leicester has been, um, not results-wise, but playing style-wise, stuttering, whereas Southampton have been only getting better. And I thought Southampton did a good job with, with Wanyama and Classy in midfield. Uh, and they were, they were playing very deep and were allowed to give the structure that allowed Southampton's forward players, the likes of Mane, to express themselves a little bit. But yet again, a brilliant, one brilliant moment from Leicester City, which this time came from Wes Morgan, a header in the 38th minute. And the incredible story continues. Yeah, it's, you know, and, and, and I give, I give I, you know, when we were talking about the Spurs match earlier on, uh, you know, these are the kind of matches to where these make you title winners. Uh, hmm. You know, you need to put, you know, forth that, that gritty 1-0 display, sometimes maybe get a bit lucky, uh, either from the ref or mm-hmm. just the, the, the drop of the ball. Um, you know, but that, that again, that, that happens over the course of season to every team. Uh, but it's obviously just finding the right timing at the right moment. W- what I've been impressed by is that, you know, I, I mean, Leicester has, has, has really been a, you know, a counterattacking team through the course of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the, the kinds of wins that we're really seeing a contrast, I think, from the first half to where it just kind of seemed like they could just continually outscore their opponent. Um, and, and, and you had, uh, the likes of Vardy and Mahrez just running riot. Um, and, and you saw Lester putting in two, three goal, uh, performances, you know, what, what seemed like almost weekly. And then we, we get now to where, uh, in the past, gosh, I mean, maybe outside of, uh, there was that two, two Lester West Brom game, uh, back then, uh, at the beginning of March. But, uh, outside of that, I mean, it's been all one Oh victories. For, right. for Leicester. And, and so these, again, just really very stable defensively, just gritted out, um, you know, don't do anything to, to, to kind of shoot yourselves in the foot. Um, you know, some, some great play uh, from Schmeichel then and, and goal uh, has allowed for, for Leicester to, to continue on this, um, um, you know, this just great, great uh, title chasing dream of theirs. And, uh, and, and we're seeing them get, uh, even closer now to that becoming a reality. So it's uh, it's it's been quite impressive uh, the the kind of performances that we've seen from this team. 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the one the one nil result thing because uh, about a week ago I had someone uh, on Twitter, a Chelsea supporter, bring up the fact that at this time last year I was I was very critical of the fact that Chelsea was eking out one nothing victories and talking about how boring they are and how Mourinho is the antithesis of football and, and the stuff that I usually say about Chelsea <laughs> and Mourinho. Uh, and he rightly pointed out that somehow, even though Leicester City are producing the same kind of uh, counterattacking football, kind of one nothing results, eking results, getting decisions, none of us as in no one covering the game is nearly as critical of Leicester City right now as we were of Chelsea. Now, the obvious counterpoint to that, Gabe, is that uh, Leicester City, first of all, has a lot more goodwill towards them than yeah, Chelsea yeah, ever will definitely. and the amount of money Leicester has spent. But, you know, playing devil's advocate and, and giving that young gentleman his due, uh, should we be criticizing Leicester for continually eking out results and not playing the most attractive football in the world? Um, you know, I mean, I, I think he, he's certainly got a point. Um, I, I think, you know, if you are able to just completely be fair and neutral yeah. uh, in, in argument, um, then, then you should. But, you know, that's not necessarily football. That's not necessarily sports in general. I mean, when you, mm-hmm. when you have such an attractive storyline uh, mm-hmm. as this Leicester City team is, you know, you're quick to dismiss some of those kind of narratives then of, oh, well, you know, they're – they're either kind of letting their foot off the gas pedal or these kind of more negative, you know, type kind of victories in, in the sense of uh, the style of play that they're playing. You, know, you mm-hmm. just throw that all out the window. It just, it just, I, you really don't see it being entered in, in many of these conversations because it just doesn't want to be the focus. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I don't really think it should be um, because when you do throw the dynamic of how much money was spent to accumulate players that mm-hmm. Chelsea had on their team, to where you know that they're fully capable um, of playing, that they have the depth then to, to be able to to play attractive style football and, and still get results. Um, and and that's not to say obviously with Leicester City because we, we saw what the first half of the season uh, surely showed that they can they can play very attacking football uh, and don't necessarily have to grind out results. But you know through the course of, of a of a title winning campaign, you are going to have um, these kind of grinding games, and and I think that is the the sign of um, you know, of a title team to, to be able to get those kind of results. And, and, and full, full kudos to uh, Ranieri, who even mentioned it, I believe it was earlier this week, if it wasn't this, this, this past week, it was two weeks ago, uh, just noting that, you know, his, in the past, his typical style of play, especially when looking at where they are in the season, you know, he would like to possess the ball a little bit more, uh, right. make, make sure to kind of kill games out. But it's just not the nature uh, of his players. Mm-hmm. They're, that's not the kind of, of, of players he has, and he has been completely adaptable in terms of playing to his players' strengths. And so it's been a little bit of kind of uncomfortable waters, I think, for him at times. And uh, you, you have to, to really give him kudos then uh, for, for you know, going outside of his comfort zone uh, through the course of the season. And, and that might be a, a piece of, uh, again, when you're comparing that to maybe Chelsea Mourinho, mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't really ever see Mourinho necessarily going out of his comfort zone for that. So that could be also one one. Uh, you know, differing item there uh, between these two teams and, and their style of play and, and uh, um, where they are with the title chase. I guess the fault lies with me. I mean, if, there's, if someone cannot like Mourinho, 
John Terry and Diego Costa. Uh, I mean, the fault is really with me. I mean, you're not human, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's really I mean, my everybody's fault. Everybody's favorite people, uh, especially, <laughs> especially Costa, for sure. So exactly. Everybody's, everybody's favorite person. I think everybody wished that they had a, 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 a Costa as their next door neighbor. So As, as their best friend. Uh, <laughs> spe- speaking of managers, Gabe, I have some sympathy for Ronald Koeman. After, after the game, he talked about the refereeing uh, decisions, not the referee, but the refereeing decisions. Uh, and I thought that he was right when he said Simpson should have got a red card and that was a penalty. I, I, that was my reaction when I saw it. Uh, it's a, if Simpson's arm is not there, the ball is going into the net. Uh, and we can, t- we can maybe talk about the interpretation in terms of in, uh, intent or not. Uh, but I thought that he's right about that. I thought that should have been given as a PK. Yeah, yeah, and, and kudos, to, kudos to Coleman, kind of doing the uh, the, the backhanded compliment in his. I think the the full the full line was essentially, you know, uh, great on Leicester City with you know the one zero victory, and, and <laughs> certainly deserve. Uh, and if they continue to get lucky with these uh, repping, <laughs> guaranteed to win, you know, kind of kind of kind of statement. Uh, obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, he, he was kind he, of sentiment there. So <laughs> you, you got to feel for him there. Yeah, he was he was 30 seconds away from a fact rant by Benitez. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's just city get all the results. Fact. All right, Gabe, the last game to discuss uh, from the weekend was the United win against Everton. Uh, Before the game, the East End was named in honor of Sir Bobby Charlton. Uh, uh, It's the the end that faces the Sir Alex stand now. Uh, Great honor for one of the greatest players to have played in uh, England. and a huge honor and, and much deserved. Uh, sometimes what happens, Gabe, with these games where at, at Old Trafford, when there's some historic occasion, United really struggles under the, uh, the pressure of that. I remember United struggling against City uh, at, uh, during the season where, uh, it's a 2007 season where it was the 50th anniversary of the Munich Air disaster. Or maybe it was 2008. So, uh, they lost poor, I think, Three nothing or three one to City that day, so sometimes it United struggles with that, and that was my worry coming into this game. Uh, but United were definitely the better team overall. Uh, I thought the big talking point was Blint, how ex- excellent he was against Lukaku, completely destroying the narrative that people like myself and other Man United supporters have about him. That when it comes to muscular opposition. Uh, Blint struggles, and and this was based on uh, how good Batafemi Gomish was in the first game of the season, and other players have been. So Blint was immense in this game. Yeah, uh, you know, it was it was uh, you know, and, and throw me into that that obviously not as a United fan, but but one of the likes. Who, Come on, admit it. <laughs> never, no, it's not true. Uh, but you know, I, I thought in terms of looking at, at Blint uh, through the course season, that that was just going to be. Uh, one of the weak spots uh, yeah. for this United team. Uh, and it's something that, especially if a team has a physical striker, um, could really attack. And and don't get me wrong, there are, there are moments where you could see Lukaku kind of imposing himself. But instead of Blind, you know, really fearing that uh, in, in terms of just getting completely outmuscled, it, it was almost like Blind would, you know, would play it intelligently, uh, looking for some support from his, from his teammates then, uh, looking for what Lukaku was going to do next, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as opposed to just worrying so much then about the positional matchup then and there. Uh, you know, there were a couple times where Lukaku tried to do the, the layoff uh, to like a, a streaking Lennon, uh, and Blinn was able to read that 
Um, just overall, I, I, I was impressed by by Blizz's performance. Uh, it certainly, you know, makes me question, um, you know, whether it's Van Hall or another manager for Man United next season, where we might see Blind, uh, just because we, we've seen him in that utility role mm-hmm. played in, in several different positions. Um, and it, it might be, you know, kind of tough to, to really identify his, uh, his best position um, when, uh, when he's been as solid as he has been uh, at center back. I also thought uh, kudos to, to Van Hall. While, while typically you see then that, that fullback substitution uh, being heavily criticized by, by United fans, uh, and, and most times rightfully so because it just doesn't really show that kind of attacking threat. Uh, I, I thought it was an excellent move bringing on uh, Fosa Mensah uh, in for, for Rojo, who Rojo just a- absolutely poor uh, mm-hmm. uh, today against against Everton. And, uh, I, you know, I, I at least thought just in terms of uh, Rojo being poor, I, I wasn't sure if, if, if Fosu Mensah was going to be able to really put anything together. Hasn't necessarily shown an, an attacking bite uh, in that full bit, fullback position thus far for, for United, uh, but certainly showed it today. Great, great pass uh, that went in and, and finished by, by uh, Martial and, and uh, it really became the, uh, the difference maker from a, a performance from Everton that just lacked any serious bite. I think they had, what, maybe one shot mm-hmm. uh, on target. Um, so just a, a, a rather pedantic display uh, from, from Everton uh, attacking-wise. Defensively, I thought they were, they were pretty solid, though. Yeah, Fozu Mensa came on for for Rojo, uh, who had been absolutely massacred by Delafeo in the first mm-hmm. half. Uh, United went with uh, Darmian switched to left back against Delafeo, and Fozu Mensa came to right back, from which he provided the assist. Uh, as I've said on the podcast before, Fozu Mensa is the most exciting uh, talent to come through the the in the midfield position since Pogba uh, both of them of course not Manchester born have been taken from other academies but uh, Fozu Mensah reminds me most of Pogba of any player that I've watched since then so very excited to watch him play a few games here he's played uh, his most natural position is holding midfield uh, actually a box box to box midfielder much like Pogba but can play at central defense as he did uh, once um, uh, Blint was injured as well as at left back where he played uh, in the in the European games and at right back today so um, terrific performance by him Uh, the this game now leaves United only a point behind fourth place Man City who have a much 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 better goal difference uh so that's something that's almost worth an extra point to consider uh which leaves makes sure that city are favorites going into the for, for the fourth place spot still uh, and west ham since west ham lost they are now a point behind united uh everton remain in 12th uh and and some of the criticisms leveled at roberto martinez continue uh, and conversations about whether he is the right manager for everton will continue Till the end of the season when I'm sure uh, either we'll see a managerial change or, I mean, my point is, I guess if Everton finished 12th, I think we'll see a managerial change, unfortunately, as much as I love Roberto Martinez. Well, do you, you, I mean, but you got to say that, that uh, potentially that FA Cup uh, Mm -hmm. could have, could have a significant impact in in whether he's retained or not. Uh, You know, we kind of saw that happen. Uh, uh, you know, before for Martinez in terms of With a, Wigan, a, yeah. cup, a cup mm-hmm. victory, you know, almost maybe uh, papering over the cracks uh, in his uh, season performance. So. Well, yeah, the, I mean, Wigan got relegated, so yep. it was difficult <laughs> at that point. Uh, but yeah, good point. Uh, Gabe, we'll wrap up uh, section two here. In section three, we'll be back uh, to briefly preview the Champions League, and that'll be end 
of the World Soccer Talk podcast for this evening. We'll be right back. In the final section of tonight's podcast, we'll quickly preview uh, the Champions League games coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday with Barcelona playing Atletico, Bayern playing Benfica, PSG at home against City and Wolfsburg at home against Real Madrid. The PSG City and Wolfsburg Real Madrid games being on Wednesday. Gabe, let's start with Barcelona Atletico. We talked about Barcelona in El Clasico and uh, I think it's key to note that uh, we all wondered what the the... Uh, we all think that Barcelona is a pretty complete team, but the cracks have appeared in the sense that their defensive lapses have been found out. But the issue, I guess, is does Atletico have people like Cristiano, uh, people like Bale, who can exploit those defensive lapses in this game, which will be at Barcelona? Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. You know, I mean, in terms of this, we're looking at an Atletico Madrid side. Uh, that's lost uh, both both times they've uh, they've met with uh, Barcelona and La Liga two one uh, actually with the uh, the same scoreline for for both matchups um, and it's you know the the focus certainly is going to be on on Griezmann who's who's had a, a phenomenal campaign mm-hmm. uh, for Atletico Madrid uh, certainly has been uh, the the key offensive contributor uh, for a side that is is you know mostly focused on uh, ensuring. Um, you know, wins by by being uh, you know very solid defensively, uh, keeping a lot of clean sheets. Uh, I, I think you know with with obviously the focus on Griezmann, the other player, and I think the other matchup that's going to really come in the key uh, for from Atletico's perspective is going to be Coca, right? Who uh, you know is really the, the main chance creator uh, for for Atletico. Uh, you know, usually when he is doing well, uh, so is, is is Atletico. I, I He's got three goals, ten assists so far in the Liga campaign. Uh, however, does not have a single goal or assist in in Champions League thus far. Uh, that certainly has to change uh, if uh, if if Atletico is going to have any any chance uh, in this matchup um, going against. Most likely, he. I mean, typically you see Atletico then uh, play kind of a four four two or a four four one one, and you see Koke then playing on that that left hand side. Uh, could sometimes see him playing behind. Um, the strikers, uh, but I, I do think you're going to see him playing on the left, uh, which can put him up against Danny Alves. And uh, I think Danny Alves, you know, great fullback, but certainly uh, can focus a little bit more uh, more often on the attacking side of things. And, and you could see him out of position uh, with Koke being able to take advantage of it. So I think that's the, definitely the, the, the matchup to, to look for. Uh, but I still think that, uh, especially with Barcelona having a, a bad taste in their mouth from losing to the mm-hmm. rival. Uh, is really just going to put it, um, you know, to Atletico here, uh, you know, come this week. What, what are your thoughts on the match? Yeah, the the issues with with uh, with Atletico definitely are up front. They haven't they haven't scored a goal in Champions League knockout stages in over 450 minutes. So that's a pretty frightening <laughs> statistic. Really uh, and Messi has a terrific record against Atletico. He scored 25 goals <laughs> against Atletico. Wow. So, uh, you know, those things I think will trouble them. But the one thing that I look at, Gabe, you, you talked about Koke. I think another player for Atletico, uh, other than Griezmann, the one is Gabby. I think Gabby's yeah. a crucial player in the center of the park. And when you consider that he's going to come up against a very important, impressive midfield, uh, that matchup with Gabby and Busquets might be really the decider. It's actually, not maybe so much in this game because Barcelona will dominate this 
this game at home, but maybe in the return leg. So another player to watch out for, but a comfortable, I'm going to go 3-1 victory even uh, for Barcelona. Score prediction from you? Yeah, it's actually the same same score, and I, I do think Atletico is going to get on the scoreboard, uh, which would be at least an important play goal for them. <laughs> but uh, but I, I just I think especially when you look at this this uh, past weekend with with Real Madrid, that uh, again Barcelona, um, I, I think you're going to see that attacking trio of, of Messi, Neymar, uh, and Suarez really come alive and, and at least get three goals there at home. Yeah, Barcelona 2, a.k.a. Bayern, uh, will be playing against Benfica, uh, also at home. Bayern will be at home for the first leg. Uh, we've talked about this briefly, Gabe, uh, you and I on ULF, about how uh, important Renato Sanchez is. Uh, but in general, I, I don't think this this is probably going to be one of the more lopsided game, uh, matchups along with the Real Madrid matchup. Uh, Bayern are very strong, very strong at home. Lewandowski is on a bender. Uh, Kingsley Coleman has had a lot of assists for Barcelona, uh, for Bayern Munich. And at the end of the day, I think Pep Guardiola is going to want to leave Bayern having handed them the Champions League trophy. Yeah. And, and, and again, uh, just in terms of looking at, um, you know, important players, uh, you know, my, my underdog here, Benfica. And, and as you noted, I think they're very strong underdogs <laughs> in, uh, in this matchup in the, in the most negative way. Uh, is another wide midfielder, uh, Nicholas Gaetan. Mm-hmm. I think you know he's really going to be the difference maker if Benfica is going to get anything out of this matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, has had a, a great Champions League uh, campaign thus far with four goals and, and three assists. Um, so really becomes their chance creator and, and the one to, to put it home uh, for for Benfica. Uh, I'm just not sure where they're going to get the, the other goals from uh, if uh, if Gaetan isn't playing, you know, just out of this world. Uh, and, and for for Juventus. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Juventus <laughs> Bayern. For, for Bayern Munich, uh, who I thought in terms of a performance that really uh, against Juventus uh, came up huge uh, was uh, Arturo Vidal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think in, in the Bundesliga campaign, especially uh, beginning this year out, um, I, I think you had a lot of Bayern fans uh, questioning, um, you know, that signing, you know, whether it was really you know paying huge dividends. Uh, for the club, but I thought he was immense, especially in that second leg against Juventus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's really added um, some attacking threat for uh, for Bayern from midfield, um, and, and I think uh, I think if if you see uh, you know Bayern you know really with their their foot on the gas pedal, one of the the key players for them is going to be uh, Vidal. So I, I, I see him definitely ruling the center of the, of the pitch uh, for Bayern, and and definitely see this being. Um, just a, I could see literally a a uh, a three zero drubbing from from Bayern Munich against Benfica. Yeah, Vidal with the the Chilean midfielder with a key performance in that game, uh, kind of shrugging off those knee injuries that have plagued them the last three or four years. Three nothing is my uh, prediction as well. Bayern have won their last ten home games uh, in a row, and they've scored Gabe nothing short. 40 goals in those 10 games <laughs> and conceded only six. So yeah, three nothing is probably a pretty good prediction. PSG versus City gave them the most exciting, I think, matchup. Yeah. Uh, mouthwatering matchup, especially now that De Bruyne is back in the mix. Uh, PSG with that incredible forward lineup. Uh, they have every type of player in that forward lineup. Uh, firm favorites, at least for the home leg. But I do think City will score, and and I think it'll be even maybe a three-one or a four-two. Wow! So I, I, you know, going in before international break, 
you know, I, I really saw this as the year that PSG could could really exercise the, the Champions League demons. I, I mean, this is kind of an, an interesting matchup because we have two teams that, uh, despite all the quality over the past couple of years, mm-hmm. hasn't really shown the ability to, to really take the next step in Europe. Yeah. Um, and so it, it is kind of funny to see these two teams, you know, match up and, and, and really, um, you know, obviously that the, the key or, or the uh, uh, getting the pass to go into the, the semifinals. Uh, but international break was unkind to PSG. We saw we saw Verratti, uh, who could be now an injury doubt. Uh, Di Maria, uh, importantly, could be an injury doubt. So mm-hmm. uh, that those two those two right there um, really changes the dynamic for me, especially with with Kevin De Bruyne uh, coming back. I, I definitely thought PSG was going to win this uh, uh, before those three uh, kind of elements change. Uh, for for PSG, I think that becomes even more um, puts a spotlight on Pastore. Mm-hmm. Who is really going to be their only creative outlet then in midfield? Certainly, PSG's you know front three. Uh, you're probably going to see Cavani start then uh, out in the one of the wide areas. Uh, Ibrahimovic and Lucas Mura um, played phenomenal this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Then for for PSG, so still tons of weapons, but I, I'm just now a little bit more concerned about PSG in the midfield there. I, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna call actually a one-one draw uh, for wow. this for this first matchup to put a little bit more heat on on PSG going into that that second leg then uh playing away from home. Absolutely. Uh, that that's it's a good prediction in the sense that City will be up for this game. Yaya Toure didn't play uh yep. he was rested he wasn't even in the squad for this so um he'll probably be back for the PSG game and uh that matchup in the middle with Matuidi and Yaya Toure will probably be a key battle. And then the defensive lapses that we saw from David Luiz in <laughs> international week uh, definitely, you know, belies some of the, uh, some of the, I guess, over analysis of how good PSG's defense is. Because they're still, as long as David Luiz is in the mix, you're always ready for at least a few errors. So uh, yeah. City might be able to exploit that. So your points are well taken. Uh with De Bruyne's old team Wolfsburg coming up against Real Madrid, obviously Wolfsburg big big favorites in this game. 13 <laughs> 13 nil victory probably for Wolfsburg. No, I, I don't I don't see uh, outside of Draxler maybe uh, really anyone troubling Real Madrid. I think even away from home, Real Madrid wins this two nothing. Yeah, I you know I, I initially I thought maybe Wolfsburg you know might be able to to pull something at least in this first leg uh, mm-hmm. you know at at home. Uh, but their their performance display uh, over the past couple weeks um, has really been poor, and, and Real Madrid seemed to be clicking at the right time. Uh, again, I thought that maybe um, you know the focus being kind of that that rival match with with Barcelona the weekend uh, that that maybe Real Madrid might falter a little bit. I think now the opposite; they're going to mm-hmm. take that momentum coming in from the weekend uh, and and really drive it home against Wolfsburg. Uh, I, I do like. Um, that that the Julian Draxler, Draxler uh, who has been playing more centrally here yeah. uh, as of recent uh, against Casemiro should be a fun matchup to see. And I think really the, the X factor, if Wolfsburg is going to have anything, um, it's going to have to come from from Max Cruz, who has had a very poor p- uh, past couple weeks, uh, has been uh, fined uh, and essentially um, uh, benched. Uh, for some off the field issues, from playing poker and leaving his winnings in a cab, <laughs> uh, to deleting pictures then from a reporter's phone, uh, and then and then being dropped from the German national team, uh, I just think though that if there's any player there right now that needs to prove himself, and especially for the German national team that's not necessarily deep at the striker position, 
Uh, Cruz still has a, a very good chance over the next month and a half uh, to, to show that he should be included in that team then for Euros. Uh, so this is an excellent opportunity for him to take the big stage and, uh, and, and put away then some of the, uh, the controversies of his off-the-field issues here uh, over the past couple of weeks. All that said, I, I still just don't see, uh, see Wolfsburg uh, being able to do it and uh, definitely see Real Madrid winning this one. Uh, I think, again, we're going to see uh, – I'll give Wolfsburg a goal at home, but I see a 3-1 win from Real Madrid. Sounds like the two of them could uh, – sorry, Benzema and him could definitely have a competition in terms of <laughs> who has more off-field troubles, uh, which might be a, a, an undertone, a subtext of this competition. Important to note, Gabe, um, Kayla Navas has not conceded a goal in Champions League yet. So um, that's a pretty amazing wow, – res- That is crazy. Yeah, especially given how we talk about some of the issues defensively for Real Madrid. So, um, yeah, two nothing for me, two one for you. Uh, at this point, I, I should say that if you if you have questions for the midweek pod or any comments about what we've talked about, whether it's U.S. men's national team related, which we didn't get into today, or you want to talk about the wage talk about the wage issue for the women's team, the Champions League matchups, any of that stuff, tweet at me using hashtag WSTPod or at NipunChopra7. Uh, you can tweet Gabe at smitty 46 and 2 and you can reach Karthik at KKFLA737. I'll be joined midweek by the inimitable Karthik Krishnayar to review the Champions League first round results, not first round, quarterfinal results, and preview the Europa League games as well, where Gabe's beloved Liverpool will be playing Dortmund. Uh, and then we'll also look ahead to an exciting Premier League weekend where uh, United plays Spurs and some other exciting matchups. Until then, from everyone at World Soccer Talk, on behalf of Gabe Smith, this is Nipun Chopra bidding you to enjoy your football. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.